0: Hi, everyone. I wanted to start this podcast off by talking about the horrific domestic terrorist attack on the U.S. Capitol. This episode was recorded before January 6th, so the attack isn't mentioned in our conversation, but I wanted to make sure I said something now. This was an attack on our democracy and the values that so many of us hold dear to our hearts. The truth is, Our country was built on stolen land by the hands and bodies of enslaved people. The very system we live under is racist and wrong. I, like so many others, wanted desperately to believe that our country was better than this. But how can we be when our entire history is founded on racism, misinformation, colonialism, capitalism, and enslavement? We're deeply hurting right now. We're in the midst of a pandemic, we're living through a constant constitutional crisis, and so many Black, Indigenous, and other people of color are subjected to police brutality and racism every single day. I love Broadway with all of my heart. But I also realize that racism is built into every single part of the theatrical system. Likewise, I've seen how racism affects the drag community whether it's the fact that Hell's Kitchen continues to employ mostly white entertainers or the constant racist remarks that queens of color are subjected to almost daily on social media. My podcast will focus on the lives and careers of my guests, but in many cases, the oppressive structures set in place in our industry are a part of those lives and careers. So I promise to you, That as a white and Native American Jewish gay man, that I will always make room for you, always give you space to elevate you, and a heart to love you. My mission in drag is to be a source of light, and that doesn't always mean being happy. That also means shining a light on the ugly underbelly of our world. I hope for a better tomorrow. And I hope that this episode can give you a little brief moment of levity in your day. So, without further ado, my first episode of Backstage Ball Change. I'm Kiki Ball Change and welcome to the very first episode of Backstage Ball Change, a peek behind the curtain of my life and the lives of the incredible guests I have. It's 2021, we are about two weeks away from a Biden administration and we're in the midst of a pandemic, so of course I thought this was the perfect time for a new podcast. I wanted to start it off with a bang, so allow me to introduce my very first guest. A household name in the queer community for over 25 years, she has enjoyed an expansive career, ranging from intimate cabaret stages in her hometown of New York City to television and film screens all over the world. She's toured countless countries, has millions of views on her YouTube channel, and has garnished multiple awards for her work and activism. You might know her best from her hilarious YouTube videos or her appearances in Will & Grace, Girls Will Be Girls, Trick, and my favorite, Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. It's my drag mother, Miss Coco Peru.
1: Hi, darling. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I just want to point out, right off the top, for for some reason, the sound cut out while you were speaking. I don't know if that's going to affect your first... Thing interesting here. okay so um <laughs> i was being a mother and making sure everything's
0: going the way it should be as a mother should <laughs> thank you for being on my very first episode i'm actually in a rotten
1: mood today so this is perfect
0: oh well i hope i can perk you up a little bit
1: you're already perking me up with that lady bunny t-shirt i, I see you wearing <laughs>
0: I know you I knew I was like she's gonna say something about it but I promise this is not an intentional uh shirt this was just the only cum rag I could find so I have
1: a lady bunny t-shirt and I wear it proudly I adore the treasure
0: yes I wanted to um just discuss with you uh you know I feel like a lot of people don't know you know whether they know we are drag family or if they do i feel like um you know we haven't ever really publicly told people our origin story of our family um how we know each other any of that and i also really want to um you know get
1: to know you better sounds great you know that i am not um i was not brought up in a time well i given my circumstances where a a drag family was something that i experienced I was a solo performer I didn't know that people had drag mothers I certainly asked fellow drag queens for advice about things mm-hmm. uh, makeup tips whatever but I never felt um I was never part of a family and and so to to it's still an odd thing for me when mm-hmm. uh when people talk about that because i it's never been my experience. I don't want to say odd, it's not odd in a negative way at all. I find it wonderful, uh, but it certainly is funny to me that uh, people now want to call me aunt and granny and you calling me mom. It's just like, oh, wow, I've never been in that role. And I've always thought I'd make a terrible, terrible parent. So. <laughs> I'm always apologizing to you
0: oh well I I truly um it is an honor to you know even if it's not in a traditional drag sense of of how you know whether it be old school drag families or kind of the newer school of drag families I think uh part of the reason that I um I do connect with you so much is I think we're both kind of we do our own thing and we uh I think we we're both kind of very different in the drag community, in the fact that we kind of pave our own path. Um, so you know, it is an honor. It's an honor to be uh, any part of your your drag family in whatever sense that is. So um, I um, I want to discuss um, how we kind of came together.
1: Yes, um, so- you had the audacity. <laughs>
0: To reach out on Instagram of all things. Reach out
1: to me (laughs) and tell me that my website look like that of an old person's and um but I I said those exact words. I like people who are audacious when it's coming from a good place. Yes. And I love young people. I believe in having friendships with young people. And, um, and for that reason, I took you seriously and I thought, well, she's young. She knows what other young people expect or, you know, so I, I took up you up on your offer to redo my website. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was our initial introduction. And then over time we've gone to RuPaul's drag con together or, You've come to see my shows. Um, you were out here visiting friends one time and mm-hmm. spent a short time together because your friends didn't want to share you. <laughs> so, I, I
0: I remember when I
1: went. I, um, I I just assumed
0: I was like, oh, she's just inviting me just to to grab the bag and go. I had truly no idea, and I felt so bad afterwards that. I felt like I I was planning
1: a whole day. Yeah,
0: I had no. I just I don't know why it never occurred to me that I'm old
1: school that way. I'm like you know that's where the granny comes in. I was ready to make tea and had some sweets set aside, and she ran in like a young kid and said, "I gotta go, granny," and got my young friends out here waiting in the car. Well, I think you will and be- you were um... so funny. You were so funny because you were trying to be polite. And I don't think I even was aware that your friends were waiting in the car. Oh. And then finally you were like, well, um, I've got some friends waiting outside and I'm so embarrassed. Oh, I no! Like, what?
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, when, when this whole thing is over and I can come back out to LA, I promise we will have our day together at Casa Coco.
1: No, you're not invited anymore. <laughs> no, I'm kidding.
0: You blow me off once, you're dead to. <laughs> That's me. it. That's it. Yeah, I would say I I um I got to know you. I think when Vine was a thing, which kind of I don't know if YouTube came first or Vine came first, but I I watched Chu Wong Fu, I watched Trick, I watched uh, Girls Will Be Girls and um I really just absolutely adore your style of drag um i I adore the fact that you started in theater much like me um and uh and and transitioned into drag. I think I've always wondered kind of what what originally was the kind of jumping off point for you to start drag from theater
1: well in college, i mean i was I was successful in college in that I was cast in a few shows where I got to, um, I understood back then that I had something that, regardless of what role I was playing, I was, people weren't coming to see me to disappear into a role. They were coming to see me, my -hmm. personality in that role. And I always sort of identified with people like Bette Midler or uh, Lily Tomlin, or you know, where you were you you liked the person, and it didn't matter what role they were playing because you were going to see them in that role and them sort of do their shtick. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which yeah. is a different kind yeah. of actor than someone like Meryl Streep say and I was happy to discover that early on but then when I left college I was kind of lost because I realized that where although I was a kind of big fish in that small pond in college in the real world I was just another wannabe actor Mm. and being gay back then was such a no-no and in fact in college I was told that I was too effeminate and I needed to butch up and I Mm -hmm. needed to lose my Bronx accent and it was very shaming. But in the late 80s and early 90s the gay community really started to, uh, because of AIDS, have this not that people weren't activists before at different parts of history we were all riding on the backs of the people that came before us. But I sort of got motivated to be openly gay because of the activism in the late eighties and early nineties. Mm-hmm. And then I went to see Charles Bush in a play mm-hmm. and it was theater. He was playing the lead female role in a play that he wrote with a sidekick of Julie Halston, with her thick New York accent that sounded very much like the way I speak. Mm -hmm. And I just had this moment of, I wanna do that. And then I read a book about Native American two-spirit people, and that resonated with me, because I felt like, wow, for the first time in my life, I have a history of how I've always kind of felt. Yeah. And, And these, two-spirited people were celebrated rather than being told to be ashamed or to butch up. Mm-hmm. And so that all co- kind of came together. This the need to be an activist and find my voice, uh, watching Charles Bush and Julie Halston be brilliant, a two-spirit, which is why I chose never to pretend to be a female, where most drag queens back then were female impersonators. I. Was like i'm going to acknowledge it from the stage that i'm a man in drag mm-hmm.
0: i start i feel like it's some my kind of intro to drag is somewhat similar i started um in 2017 yeah. shortly after of course donald trump became president um and i was living my parents had i grew up in florida but my parents had moved to alabama and i was completely bored and i uh, you know, I just recently graduated from school for musical theater and kind of very much the same with theater, I felt like I'd never really fit in because I was also told, uh, you know, that my voice was too gay, you know, whether it was that wor- those words or not. Um, basically, yeah, I had to butch it up and I had to, you know, work out and build like a strong kind of leading man body and, uh, and that very much never felt like it really fit. And also in the same way, I, I'd grown up in the South and I'd only ever seen kind of uh, pageant-y drag queens. And again, very much female illusion. So that was also always kind of what I had imagined drag was. And um, I, I watched, um, I think it was season eight of RuPaul's Drag Race and saw Thorgy Thor and Bob the Drag Queen and, I think that was maybe around the time I also was more aware of you too and I was I was like oh that's that's what drag can be um it doesn't have to be pageant it doesn't have to be female illusion it can be fun it can be an extension <clears throat> an extension of who you are as a person and my dad is also native american so I also connect with Two Spirit and the fact that I feel like there is a male presence and a female presence in my body. And when I do drag, Kiki comes out. And when I'm out of drag, you know, I'm Gabe again. And, and Kiki is kind of still there always, but but just chilling, chilling to the side.
1: You probably had the same experience as what I sort of experienced when I saw Charles Bush, mm-hmm. that um, drag could be, in that moment, I, I, for me, drag could be theater. It could um, be very witty. It didn't necessarily have to be only uh, lip syncing. Mm-hmm. So, and I wanted to be a storyteller because I wanted to save the world through storytelling, which seems so silly and naive now. But I'll tell you, uh, over the years, that being my core value is what has saved me sometimes when I get kind of caught up in the craziness of showbiz. Yeah, my husband will remind yeah. me and ask, why did you create Coco? And I think, oh, that's right, because I wanted to save the world and create a world where young kids wouldn't have to go through the bullshit I went through. Yeah, And so that keeps me focused. There was one time when um, I was asked to be on, uh, my friends, a friend of mine worked for Joan Rivers, and he wanted me to um, be on her reality show. And um, which I thought would be a great opportunity. And in that, and then he called me and explained to me, the setup would be that I come to Joan Rivers house to pitch conversations with Coco, which at the time I was doing at the center and it helped raise money for the um, homeless youth program there. Mm -hmm. And Joan was gonna refuse me. And then I was gonna drive away in a kind of pissed off mood. And I was, I thought, well, why would I go on John Rivers' show to be turned down when I'm trying to raise money for gay youth? Mm-hmm. And so I turned it down. And, you know, in hindsight, I look back and I, I'm, I'm proud of myself that I was able to turn that down. <laughs> that That's when the core value came into play, mm. is what I'm saying. Yeah. So when yeah. young people ask me about having a long career with whatever career, I always... Um, I always bring that up of like, what is it you want to do in the world? Like, what is the foundation you're going to build everything else upon? And I love all forms of drag. I love grotesque drag. I love love it all. I have no problem with uh, trans people being in drag. Uh, Any chance for someone to dress up and create themselves or create an alternative version of themselves, I think is a wonderful... Reason to celebrate. And I encourage people to do it because when you are in the process of creating a drag character, you start to realize that that is also really what you're supposed to be doing with your everyday life. Mm -hmm. It's all a process of creating your life. And drag taught me that. And it was a very powerful uh, experience. And even becoming Coco and the whole process of creating Coco and writing my first show, it taught me so much about how the universe works. And it felt like a a calling almost, a religious calling of sorts that um, I had no doubt in my mind, as crazy as me doing drag seemed to myself and to my family and friends, there was this other part of me that for the first time in my life felt like I had a mission and a purpose. And there was no doubt in my mind that I was going to be successful. Mm. And uh, that's a powerful thing to have at an early age.
0: We recently had a phone conversation um, where you you told me that too. Again, a reminder of just like, remember why you're doing it. And um, I think I think it's so important, uh, especially with drag and, and what I have always found um, with my drag um, is to use, I, I think drag is a platform of, um, you know, the second you put on a wig and heels, I think you're making a, a statement regardless of what kind of drag you do. And so my mission kind of in drag has always been to uh, bring smiles to people's faces. And um, I, I think because, you know, I, th- I had a, a hard childhood and, and um you know i feel like i always wanted that person to look up to that could you know help brighten my day help me smile and and get me through it um and so i very much uh i connect with that i think changing the world whether it be through storytelling or um you know making people smile is a a big part of why i think drag exists i think it's a higher calling for so many people um that truly do help change the world
1: yeah um, when i on drag which I haven't done in so long, but when I would go out in public, it was almost like being on a stage, just being in a Starbucks, you know, because obviously people were going to look. And so I always took that opportunity to smile at people, to look them in the eyes, to, and more often than not, people would actually engage me and start a conversation. And I thought, you know, if I wasn't dressed in drag, this. This moment would have never happened. And yeah. maybe that person is going to leave Starbucks thinking, well, that was really cool. And that's not a person I would have thought I'd have a conversation with. You mm-hmm. know? So uh, I love that. Yeah. I also loved when men would flirt with me. So there was always that aspect. My husband was always like, are you whoring at Starbucks again? <laughs> there was a time I was walking back
0: from uh, a club in, in Hell's Kitchen. And and someone I was about to cross the street and this car just pulled up next to me and my friend. We were both in drag and was exposing himself to us and was kind of like, do you want to get in the car? And we were just like, Oh no, thank you. But it's it's incredible the things that people will will do and say to to someone cross-dressing in the middle of the street in Manhattan. It is wild.
1: Now, see, I would have I would have said uh, I don't want to get in the car, but I'll stand here and enjoy the show for a minute or two. <laughs> well, listen, I never said
0: I didn't get in the car. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> now
1: you sound like your mother. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, I wanted to ask about your your YouTube videos. Um because you mentioned going, you know, to Starbucks and drag, how did your videos get
1: started? It was meant as a joke because um, people uh, Target had released a Hollywood, a a Halloween Mm -hmm. wig that looked similar to me. Even the woman's expression on the bag that was uh, wearing the wig was a very Coco looking expression. And so people assumed that it was a Coco Peru wig. (laughs) And I started getting all of these photos from people that were in Target taking pictures of this wig. So my manager, Michael, who you've met, Mm -hmm. said, why don't we make a video where you go out looking for the wig? And I said, that's funny. And uh, so we did it as a goof and we got Garrett Watts, who's become a YouTube, his own YouTube sort of sensation now. He was friends with Michael, so he said he would video it. Mm -hmm. And we put it out really just for my fans. And it did well, and then so Michael said, well, why don't we do another video? And I said, all right, well, let's go looking for something else. And I always thought the words, celestial seasonings, tension, tamer tea is funny. And I would often work that tea into my shows. It was like a running gag. It's why I loved Randy Rainbow early on because he, he would work uh, his character shoes and his glasses into every video. And I, I knew that was smart. I said he's on this kid's onto something, and um, and because I would do that in my own shows with these mm-hmm. running sort of gags, and um, one of my
0: favorite of those is is my husband Rafael. He's from
1: Spain. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's another one. Yeah, like you know, and so we went out and I did the tension tamer one. Well, that one went viral because uh, Tyler Oakley posted mm-hmm. it. And that's why it went viral, because he posted it. And then it was all from there, uh, people started to discover. My audience changed from middle-aged gay men that had grown up with me, and women, Mm -hmm. uh, to teenage girls, you know, or young queens like yourself, all of a sudden discovering me. And then, start, and then they'd start to put together, oh my God, that's the same drag queen that was in that episode of Will and Grace. Mm-hmm. Oh, and she's the same drag queen that was in Tu Wang Fu. And I remember seeing Trick when I rented it on video. <laughs> so they started to put it all together that, that was the same person.
0: Have you been, I mean, I, I can assume yes, but have you been kind of grateful for this new kind of exposure to a younger audience or is it kind of a double-edged sword?
1: No, I'm so grateful. And I like, you know, when I created Coco, I believed that drag had the power to cross over to an audience that wouldn't necessarily be my core audience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so my mother would say things to me like, why don't you, why, why, do, why does all your material have to be gay? And she's my biggest fan, but she was worried that that was preventing me from having a bigger career. Mm. And I always told her, I said, you know, mom, I grew up watching all these straight TV shows and I could laugh and empathize with people. Uh, I expect an audience to discover me and realize that my being in drag and being a gay man is not everything that's, Mm. and that they can still relate to me regardless of what I'm wearing or what they think a a gay person is, Yeah, you know, at that time. so I, I just kept at it. I think World of Wonder and uh, along with RuPaul when they created um, RuPaul's Drag Race, I think World of Wonder also understood that mm-hmm. that drag had the power to cross over, and that people are craving uh, this. I because I, I discovered it within myself. So, but World of Wonder really pushed. You know, they had the means to create that show. And that's really also what put me in touch with a younger audience because Mm -hmm. these younger people discovered drag and then they started to discover that someone like Willem or Alaska or Jinx Monsoon loved Coca-Peru. So then they'd wanna know, well, who is this Coca-Peru? So it all kind of snowballed from different things.
0: Did you ever think yeah. it would it would get this
1: mainstream, or you just yeah. you... That, That's kind of the double-edged sword. <laughs> I always believed that it would. No, I always believed that it could. But mm-hmm. then when it actually happened, it I'm in disbelief. You know, walking around RuPaul's DragCon, I'm my mouth hangs open half the time. I'm like, I just can't believe that there's eleven year old and younger mm-hmm. kids here with their parents. Sometimes I have worried about. Um, that drag has gotten a little sometimes watered down because they're trying to play to an audience. Uh, that's why I love Jinx and De La's Christmas special because I yeah. felt like they made it for a queer audience and they expect the straight people that love them to open their minds to embrace what that experience is rather than playing to a mainstream audience and trying to make it feel safe for them. Mm-hmm. That is sometimes, I like with my one person shows, I don't try to make it mainstream. So when a young teenage girl shows up, I will sometimes say to the parent, listen, this is some of the things I talk about. <laughs> and they'll usually, and I'll and I'll say, and they've heard it all in the schoolyard before, <laughs> but you might feel awkward sitting with your child listening to some of this. And most, all of the time they're like, oh no, I want my kid to have that kind of relationship with me and also to be the type of kid that is exposed to they want their kid to be diverse so that's yeah. really wonderful. Yeah, yeah, that is wonderful.
0: I I found with um with drag race some and and as I've kind of gotten to know more queens that end up going on the show, I've also kind of seen that um you know, when when like someone that's on drag race reposts something of mine on Instagram, I'll get a, a huge flood of of young, usually teenage girls, you know, sometimes some teenage boys, but I feel like it has kind of moved to a whole different uh audience, I feel like. And so sometimes if I'm like posting about something or like tweeting about something, I feel like I have to kind of uh What's the word? Like, like watch watch what I'm saying or watch what I'm talking about. Like I feel like I'm not always able to, you know, talk about poppers and, and bottoming and and you know, some of the the more uh, you know, classic risque gay talk on, on social media because the audience is kind of skewed more uh more younger and and more
1: female. And you know, it's interesting. It's kind of uh You know, that's interesting because a couple of my videos I think. Michael in the editing process would be like, we can't put that in, you now have teenage fans yeah. <laughs> because things like come out of my mouth. But I always feel like they've heard it before. I will yeah. say one time, I couldn't believe that Willem had done this and yet I was howling backstage along with Bianca and Lady Bunny and mm-hmm. I think Sherry Vine. We were all standing off to the side of the stage in New York City during a performance of uh, the drag queens of comedy and Willem was on stage and she had filmed a video that she was singing live too, but the video was playing on screen where she was fisting a guy (laughs) and really doing it and the audience you know all these young teenage girls were standing up front and to watch them sort of register what they were seeing, not quite understanding what they're seeing. And then the screaming, the literally, they were literally screaming uh, because they couldn't believe what they were seeing. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And I couldn't believe that Willem did it. And yet I can believe Willem would do that because that's yeah. what he did. <laughs> You know, I, I always tell the story, when I first met Willem, we were, I didn't know him, but we were sitting next to each other, like a whole table full of drag queens mm-hmm. on Santa Monica Boulevard. And some guy was walking across the street that was cute. I didn't notice him because my back was to the street. And she turned around and saw this guy. And she yells, Hey, come over here. And he crosses the street and she says, Take your dick out. And he took his dick out. And I thought, Oh my God, this this young queen has powers. (laughs) And I fell in love with her that day because she was so bold. And yet as bold as she is, she is so respectful towards uh, me and Jackie B and older queens. And she answers us, you know, sometimes, you know, she can be be funny and fresh too, but in moments she'll just be like, yes, ma'am. And she's just very um, respectful that way, even with her naughty reputation. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, at this late age, um, because I was a solo performer and I was kind of always a drag queen that wasn't really close to other drag queens, um, I at this age now where I've gotten to perform with other drag queens and be out on the road with them, I love hanging out with other queens. Mm. It is so much fun. Do you think it was and always kind I of miss
0: like that or has it changed a little more? since you started?
1: Well, I don't know because I wasn't part of a real drag community. I mean, I did do A New Bunny and I did do uh, stock years ago, but even then I wasn't part of that scene. I wasn't, mm. um, you know, I wasn't a club kid. I didn't go to the clubs that often. I was more in the cabaret. And I had friends in the cabaret world that did drag. Uh, so, but it wasn't the same. Yeah as it is now i i can't explain it yeah
0: what um kind of got you involved in like tv and film and i or i guess like what maybe was like the moment you were like okay i i'm going to venture from doing my solo shows or what opportunity was presented to you for you to to do that you did start doing will and grace well, and and all the movies
1: it was all uh, by chance there was nothing planned it was mm-hmm. Uh Tu Wong Fu put out a big call for like every drag queen in New York City to come in on audition. So mm-hmm. I went and auditioned with everybody else. And I got that. And then um, Trick came about by mis- by mistake. And I was, I said yes to a friend when he asked me to help him audition people for the first reading of a movie at that time was called Gay Boy. <laughs> and um it, I did the reading and read the role that would eventually go to Tori Spelling, but everybody said, well, you gotta keep the drag queen in the movie. So they wrote me that. Um,
0: that monologue actually was from your own experience, right? Or was that saying um, Oh so- No, wow.
1: just one line was from my experience, oh, okay. <laughs> which was the, uh, a boy had followed a very hot boy. Right when I first started dating Raphael, but this young, Gorgeous boy followed me uh, into my apartment and was asking if he could come upstairs with me. And I was saying no, and I was standing on the. i already started walking up the stairs and was looking down at him. And all of a sudden, he his eyes locked with mine, and then he looked down at his pants, and he had this enormous erection going down one side of. Well, it was going down a whole leg, basically, <laughs> and. I, couldn't believe the size of it and he looked back up at me and he said it's big it's beautiful and you're gonna love it and I said oh honey I can't but I said but that is a great line and someday I'm gonna use it and, and then so it was on a billboard right did. and then it was on a billboard <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why and to this, day, to this day I regret not bringing him up to my apartment <laughs>
0: Maybe he's somewhere out there still thinking about the time that that happened and how much he regrets yeah. that you yeah. didn't let him up. Who knows?
1: I'm sure he still looks at his gigantic penis and thinks, well, that was her loss.
0: <laughs> I've always kind of, um, my name out of drag, as you know, is Gabe. And so I've always, even before we really started talking, I was like, oh, she's she's telling me that story. She, she's warning me about getting cum in my eye. And uh, that's right. I
1: didn't think of that, that you're Gabriel. That's Yeah.
0: Right. So that was yeah. kind of my first. Uh, honestly, I think that was my first time I was like, oh, she said my name that, you know, she I don't know why. It, like, I was like, oh, I'm special. Cocoa yes. Peru said yes. my you're name. Sweet. Yeah. You're know. delusional as well. Yeah. That. Well, yes, absolutely. <laughs> need to tell me that.
1: <laughs> so, so basically everything that I've been involved in when it comes to television and movies mm-hmm. is because word of mouth, like Will and Grace was, my friends from New York, ended up becoming writers and producers on Will and Grace. So, mm-hmm. and and Max Munchnik, who was one of the creators of the show, was a fan of mine. And so when they had that first episode I was on, they called me in to audition. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was because they already knew of me. So anything I've gotten, it's, um, I've auditioned for, but I, um, or you know, or, or was given the role. Yeah. Like this time around, yeah. on Will and Grace, they actually wrote that part for me. I didn't have to audition, which which was nice. Yeah.
0: And was that the same writer from, like, a similar writer from before that knew you from the the earlier seasons, or was it someone completely new that was like, was, oh yeah, let's. the
1: same writers, same writers, and Max Munchnik. They they, I'm still friends with them. So mm-hmm. um, and the. The guy and the girl, um, John Canale and and Tracy, um, I know them from New York, the cabaret world. And mm-hmm. they they used to do a comedy show with head of lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> well, and off. they were hilarious. Yeah.
0: Um oh, I lost my train of thought again. Sorry, I'm nervous too, cause I'm it's just Fine, don't be nervous. I know. i I always tell myself not to be, but it's just like new and 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 I haven't really well, listen,
1: before. I don't want you to edit anything of of the, what you're saying out right now because you know, when other people see, everyone's so afraid to be vulnerable sometimes and to make mistakes, and I've always been a perfectionist because mm-hmm. I have that fear and part of my challenge when I did my cocoa thoughts one in solitude that was my challenge was that um i was just going to press record and talk yeah. and if i screwed up or whatever it didn't matter because um what mattered was if it was just being vulnerable enough to say it's okay if it's not perfect yeah so there thank you thank it's you. okay to be okay. nervous. all right it means you care that's what my husband always says when i before i go on stage and i'm like I can't breathe. I'm so nervous. And he says, well, that's good. That means you still care. Thank you. I, I, I don't know where to go next.
0: We can Uh, talk about my,
1: um, why I'm in such a foul mood today. Oh, sure. Let's talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in a foul mood today because I have been recently working out twice a week with the trainer and it is my doctor um, approved that I could do this because it was outside and both wearing masks. And I was really proud of myself and making this effort to get stronger and feel better. Mm -hmm. Um, And my doctor the other day said, he no longer thought it was a good idea for me to be working out uh, because of the covid and the sort of explosion of it again out here in california mm-hmm. and um so i have had to make the decision not to go and after all that work um and feeling like i was achieving my goals i i, I feel crushed about that mm-hmm. but i also respect my doctor yeah i respect nurses and uh my husband and my own health yeah and so when i saw what happened in puerto vallarta with that white party Mm -hmm. it just hit a nerve for me yeah really badly and um and i i'm thinking of like all of my friends and acquaintances that died of aids that were so close to the cocktail but didn't quite make it in order to survive Mm -hmm. And here we are so close to the vaccine, you know, getting a vaccine. I think of my mother who I haven't seen since this started because she's 94 and I want to keep her safe. And I just feel like these people aren't thinking. And I can sort of forgive a 23-year-old because they're still immature. But there were a lot of people there that were much older, and I feel like they should know better. We're in an extraordinary place right now with the world. And and it's just been so selfish. And then I I also blame. You know, our government and it's like if they're cheating and doing it just trickles down and mm-hmm. everything just hit me today, you know, racism and just people's privileges to to go down there. I don't know it just all came tumbling yeah. down on me this morning and I took my bike ride and I was just angry so that.
0: It's crazy. And there's, like, this this Instagram account that's called, like, Gays Against COVID, and it's it's outing people that, like, were at Puerto Vallarta. <laughs> like, and and there's this whole it thing of, like, like,
1: like, what? It feels like the 80s, again, when they started outing, when Singere, Michael Signorelli, Michelangelo Signorelli started um, outing people. Well, there was, like, there
0: was this post of that was, like, viral that was going around recently that someone was like offering a $500 reward for someone who could figure out who the creator of that Instagram account was. I mean, it's just like wild that the, yeah. pe- the people that are like actively harming others by traveling and, and going to parties and, and all of that. Then when we try to like, you know, hold them to account and, and, and you know, spread the word that they're being bad people, it's just like irresponsible people it's, they're getting upset. And it's like, no, like, this is the consequence for your action of of risking other people's
1: lives. It's all very complicated. Yeah. When I was young, I went to Trinidad and Tobago. And on the island of Tobago, there was a little bar. And outside this little shack of a bar, they had a blackboard. And on that blackboard were written the names of people who were being publicly shamed for misbehaving in that bar. And so they were no longer welcome into the bar, but they would have a date when they would be welcomed back (laughs) into the bar. And everybody would say, oh, look who misbehaved, you know, and and they would kind of tease them and joke about them and laugh about them. And then when their date was, when they felt like they had had a, their punishment was up, they would be allowed back into the bar. And, and they would be welcomed and forgiven. And I, that just, I've never forgotten that. And I've always thought since then, there is something to be said about public shame. <laughs> I do believe in a conversation and ownership and all of that. I, I mean, I've always, but I also believe it's okay for people to disagree and, and uh, be angry, Yeah, um, but, I am angry about that, Puerto Vallarta. And the other thing that I was being very cynical was, you know, I know that they do the white party out in Palm Springs, but um, they haven't been able to do it because of COVID. And then I thought, I really hope that Palm Springs doesn't allow the white party ever to happen again. Like, you know, you were not responsible by doing it. And this is about money. And then I realized, now they'll let it happen again because it is about money and everybody wants to make a buck and so I w- i've just been very cynical yeah. about the world and the state
0: yeah and there i feel like with like i see some of my friends especially in florida because i went to school in orlando and there are so many queens that i follow that i see like their instagram stories and it's like on one hand i understand that it's like florida and and you know the federal level like are not doing anything to help anyone. But at the same time, it's like, I don't understand you performing in a packed bar, you getting right in the faces of people without a mask on, grabbing their hand while you take a dollar, you know, posing for pictures with people without a mask on. It just seems so, I just don't understand the le- like the level of, of selfishness. I think we've gotten to where it's like, yes, I understand you have to work, but also there's a safe way to do it. And that kind of is what has gotten me a little cynical lately towards a lot of you know, people in our own community. It's like, I don't understand how you can just be so selfish to not just take basic precautions, you know, yeah. but anyway, at yeah.
1: the end of the day, we can only just um, behave in a way that we have to answer to ourselves, you know? right yeah, that's all we can control, yeah. And I've been, um, that's always been one of my buttons is that I'm a bit of a control freak and want everything to be perfect. So um, I have to sometimes just express my rage. That's the other great thing about being a drag queen is that I write my shows and get to go on stage and express all of my feelings, my rage, my sadness, all of it, and uh, get paid to do it. It's wonderful. It's like group therapy. (laughs)
0: It's truly great. I miss, I miss being with an audience and having that shared moment together. I
1: miss miss engaged participants, but I don't miss (laughs) drugs.
0: So, um, you know, I know you've talked a little bit about retiring soon. Uh, Do you have a timeline or is that? Um, I don't No,
1: It all kind of is up in the air right now. But yeah, Raphael, he's from Spain. Thank you. Um, he is. I did that for you. He um, is retiring in June. Oh, and he's so, a teacher. You know, I know there's changes. He's a professor. Yeah, and there's changes ahead, but I don't know how that will affect me. Mm-hmm. So I I see myself maybe in a semi-retirement before I ever fully retire, and who knows? But I don't I don't want to be. Uh, you know, on a plane every week. I, I just don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was exhausting I and mean, I was always getting sick. <laughs> and I just and the other thing is is like my feet uh hurt now. And I'm starting to feel my age. And you know, maybe I'll sit through my shows or, Mm -hmm. you know, take moments where I sit more often instead of pacing back and forth. So I've got to figure it all out. Yeah.
0: So from the moments from your spray paint on the sidewalk of Miss Coco Peru, she knows to, you know, Casa Coco online, what has been kind of your proudest moment of your career thus far?
1: Oh, I've had so many, Gabe. You know, I've certainly, was proud when my dad celebrated my drag. He didn't just accept me. He really celebrated both my parents, but my dad's passed away early on in my career. But I got to have that opportunity of knowing that my dad celebrated me, which is a lot different than just accepting me. Yeah, And that was very powerful. Um, then when I received an award out here from the Gay and Lesbian Center and my mom was in the audience and Liza had made a, a video for me and Lily Tomlin wrote this beautiful letter and Zachary um, Quinto read the letter and did his own speech. You know, to sit there with my mom and having this in this beautiful ballroom and people cheering was special. It was special to get that, but the fact that my mom was there witnessing it was made it all the more special. Yeah. And then of course, having met some of my idols is just a confirmation of that I made the right choice when I created coca Peru. as outrageous as that choice was back then, when I meet the people that inspired me. And that to me is just almost like a little gift from the universe going, mm-hmm, here you go, you made the right, you made the right decision.
0: Well, I'm going to try to not get emotional when I say this, but um, I'm a very emotional person, so I'll probably will. I think uh, you being my drag mother in whatever form or sense that we are family is one of those moments for me. And I truly have to thank you um, from the bottom of my heart, seriously, for seeing something in me, for offering a hand to me. you know, for letting me follow you around at Dragcon and take pictures for you. Um, you know, every everything that you've said or done to me for me has truly, truly meant so much. And um it it again is one of the things for me that's like, yeah, you're on the right path, you're doing the right things. Um, the people that you look up to see something in you. So thank you for that. I really, truly appreciate it. And thank you, thank you, thank you for being my first guest on my podcast.
1: Of course, I do believe in supporting other people's dreams and I hope that, you know, when the time presents itself to you, regardless of where you are in your career, if it's this week or, you know, 20 years from now, that you also support other people's um, dreams. That's what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. All right, darling. Well, thank all right. You for the conversation. Of course, thank you. You can take that um, lady bunny T-shirt off now and put it in the shredder. <laughs>
0: I've got my garbage can with my with my tin. What's it called? Tindling. Tint. My sticks all ready to go, so I can just set it on fire.
1: Tinder. The tinder. Tinder.
0: Yeah, tinder.
1: <laughs> oh, they used to, there's another word for that kind of wood. Like yeah. And something because you, you to start a fire like in a fire kindling, kindling, kindling. kindling.
0: I was mixing the
1: two. <laughs> you, you know, one of my jobs when I was a teenager, I worked for a couple that had no children. And one of my jobs was to chop wood. <laughs> um, like they had a big cellar with this wood pile that uh-huh. I would have to chop wood and stack it. Not to mention, um, shade barnacles off the bottom of their sailboat i mean Ugh. Oh, oh, oh when i think of what <laughs> i had to do as a teenager. anyway <laughs>
0: all right all right
1: darling stay well i will help. you too thank you darling
0: thank you Alrighty, i'll bye. talk to you yeah. later bye thank you to my guest my drag mother miss coco peru and to you for listening Make sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Instagram at Backstage Ball Change, or my personal account, Kiki Ball Change. Until next time, I'm Kiki and this has been Backstage Ball Change. Bye.